please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. Blessed are those who. Last Sunday, Pastor Tiemann introduced a sort of a sermon series on a sermon. The sermon series began last week. It's going to continue for several more weeks. It's really a sermon series on, as far as we know, the first sermon that Jesus preached in his public ministry. We call that large sermon the Sermon on the Mount. Part of that large sermon is what we call the Beatitudes. We're going to see today that the Beatitudes are character traits of the chosen. I'm guessing most of us, many of us at least, have heard, have read the Beatitudes often. Sunday school, worship, adult classes, individual Bible studies, group studies. Maybe we've heard them so often that we've, well, we've become a little bit numb, a little bit casual about how profound, how radical, how countercultural the Beatitudes are. To be fair, there are some challenges in how we read and understand the, the Beatitudes. For example, how do we define some of the words that are there? And, and we could start with the very first word, the word blessed. Let me go off in a a little bit of a rabbit trail here. The Oxford English Dictionary is probably, most likely, the most authoritative source for what English words mean. It was published more than 100 years ago in its first edition. The next edition, I think, is going to be out in 2037. Today, it's mostly online. It's subscription-based. The Oxford English Dictionary has more than 600,000 entries. 600,000 entries. Now, some of them are scientific uh, terms that, that aren't exactly dinner table conversation words. Uh, some others are words that are un unique to some English-speaking nations other than the United States, even other than Britain. But 600,000 words. Not only are there 600,000 entries in the Oxford English Dictionary, many of those words have multiple meanings, several meanings. Just take the word gra grand, for example, G-R-A-N-D. I can right offhand think of two different meanings for the word grand. Marriage is grand, divorce is 50 grand, right? Same word, two different meanings. Apparently, the prize winner for the word that has the most meaning in the Oxford English Dictionary, at least, is the word run, R-U-N. Peter Gilliger is, in, is one of these researchers who researches for the Oxford, Oxford English Dictionary. And already 10 years ago, Peter Gilliger discovered, relayed, found that for that little three-letter word, run, there are more than 645 meanings and shades of meaning. 645 just for the verb run. You run a race, you run for office, you run amok, you run something up the flagpole, you run a fever, you run an app on your iPhone. 
645 more meanings. Amazing. Now, sometimes we know that words can be used interchangeably. And if, if sometimes you're writing something and you want to find a different word that you're thinking, then the one you're thinking about, you go to something called a thesaurus. And you can find that, that words are a little bit sometimes slippery. You can exchange them one for the other. And yet there are times when only the right word works. Mark Twain once wrote, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between a lightning bolt and a lightning bug. And I think he's absolutely correct, at least in some circumstances. If you're not so sure about this, try this sometime. Let's say that you're out for dinner with the most important person in your life and, and things are going well, swimmingly. The mood is just wonderful, the meal is delicious, get a little touch of the grape and that's great as well and, and things are just moving along as well as you can imagine and that special person in your life leans over to you and says, honey, I love you. And you respond, honey, I like you a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think the evening's going to end well for you when that happens. Different words for different meanings, but sometimes only the right one works. Well, back from the weeds, back to blessed are those who mourn. I said all of this to say this. With 600,000 words in the English language, with likely a million shades of meanings and shades of meaning. Wouldn't you think that we could come up with a word that seems to be more on target, more suited for the Beatitudes than simply blessed, or as we often say, blessed? I'm not the first one who finds that frustration to be true. Maybe you do too. Translators of the New Testament have known this for years, decades, centuries now. Blessed, blessed, is by far the most popular translation and most used translation for this first word of the Beatitudes. No question about that. But other translators use words like happy or privileged, favored or fortunate. Enviable. Now we're hearing congratulations. The standard lexicon that gives you an English translation, an English word for the Greek original, has it this way. The privileged recipient of divine favor. I get that, but it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? The privileged recipient of God's favor. So a request, and, and I'm not trying to be cute, I mean this sincerely. If you have a word that you would offer as a suitable, better translation for the word that we translate as blessed in the Beatitudes, then please share it with me and with others. The English-speaking world would be forever in your debt. So sometimes it's a matter of just defining the word. Second challenge is when you define the words and put them together, what do they mean in a whole sentence? Happy are those who are sad. I'm not so sure about that. Not so sure about that. Last Sunday, Pastor Tiemann said that those who use the Beatitudes, those who hear the Beatitudes, those for whom the Beatitudes apply are part of a club. And that club of the chosen turns the rules of every other club on their heads. 
And what he said was absolutely on target. It was spot on. Though it may have been something of an understatement. Let me paint you a picture of why I say that and what I mean. Maybe you typically run, here's that word again, your errands on Saturday morning. And so next Saturday, you look at your list and there's only three errands you need to run that morning. That shouldn't take long. You go to the Office Depot because there at the Office Depot, you're planning to pick up some of your favorite writing pens. They're the Energel RTX 5 Fine Point Pentel pens. You find them. You look at the tag because usually they're $4.99 for four. But, but you see there's a tag and you look at them and you, you find out that in fact, it's not $4.99, it's $109.68. And you're going, man, that's pretty bonkers, right? So you take it to the cash register and you tell the lady, would you do a price check on this, please? Because $109.98, $109.68, this doesn't make it. That, that can't be true. It's $4.99, right? And she does a check and she says, yeah, that's, a, that's the new price. We just got it yesterday. Look around. All, almost everything is a little different than you know. And you think, I'm not going to pay for that. So you put it down and you leave the pens and you leave in a half. So the first errand didn't go very well. <coughs> Your daughter is going to a birthday party next Sunday. It's going to be for a child who you know and you believe, you understand, you remember, likes Hot Wheels. You saw at Walmart that Hot Wheels this coming week, the next couple of weeks, are in a special sale. They can get expensive, but for a while at least, Walmart has Hot Wheels on $2.99 a piece, two for five bucks. Say, well, that's a pretty good price. That's a pretty good price. So you head off for Walmart, and you find one that really, really sparkles. It looks like a Maybe a 1971 Nova. Maybe it's got a, an engine here poking through the roof or, or for the hood. You know how they get tricked out like that sometimes. Beautiful dark pumpkin orange. And you say, you know, that'll work. That'll work. I might just get two for five bucks. That's not too bad. But, but then you look at the tag, $4,999. Well, that's insane. That's absolutely crazy. What's going on here? First at Home Depot, now at Walmart. What has happened? Have aliens taken over our electromagnetic force field so that our whole electric grid is fried? What's going on? You put it down and you walk out. First errand, not so good. Second errand, not so good. You do your third errand. You and your spouse have had your eye on a pickup truck up just about north of Crystal Lake at Crystal Lake Dodge Ram Jeep. It's, it's a beauty. I mean, it's, it's really, really nice. 2023 Dodge Ram pickup truck, 1500 Limited, crew cab, 4x4, 5.7 liter V8 Hemi with an 8-speed transmission, premium sound package, 
latest and greatest electronics, it's loaded. Now, you know that money can't buy happiness, but if you had the money to buy that particular pickup, you'd be on the road toward happiness, at least in the short term, right? Yeah, right. We got an amen. You've been watching that particular pickup online for about two months now. And you're thinking, if it hasn't sold for a couple of months, maybe by now it's come down 10 grand, something like that. So you drive over to Chrysler Dodge Ram pickup, pull in the driveway, and there it sits. Still there, still beautiful. Online, that listed for $77,715. At least it did yesterday, I looked. $77,715. But when you drive into that parking lot, there's a sign that's painted on the windshield that says $17.77. <laughs> well, at that price, I'd take two, right? As would you. What's going on? It says madness. It's goofy as a sack of cats, right? Who switched the tags? Who switched the tags? Back to the beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the sad. Who switched the tag? Who switched the tag? So, sometimes it's hard to define the words in the beatitudes, and when you put the all, word, all the words together in a sentence, even that doesn't help a whole lot. It still doesn't make complete sense. And then beyond that, are the Beatitudes prescription or are they description? Is this a lifestyle prescription that we, you and I, should aim for, work for, try for, that we aspire to do? Is this a prescription? Or is this a, a description of God's chosen, those who are part of the club, favored by God? In good Lutheran terms, are the Beatitudes law or are they gospel? The Beatitudes seem to me to describe a world that is, is nice and sweet, but unrealistic. They may have been true in the world where Billy Graham lived and whether maybe Mother Teresa lived, but that doesn't line up with the world in which I live, and maybe most of you live either. They're, they're unrealistic. They, they don't sound beautiful. I would write the Beatitudes differently. Let me give you some examples. Blessed are those who are well-educated and well-connected and work hard, for they will get the good jobs and lots of good things will come their way. And besides, we know that God helps those who help themselves. Works for me. Here's a life lesson that I have found to be true, and I would share that as a Beatitude as well. Blessed are you if you have learned to live with low expectations because you'll hardly ever be disappointed. Am I right? So look, blessed are those who mourn, I would write. Although your grief will be tolerated by us for a while because at some point you need to pull yourself together and move on. Captain Compassion here, right? But more realistic more real world, more of a world that applies to me, if not to you. 
So with, with all these disclaimers and with all this, all this bad news this morning, what do we do with the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn. First, the blessed means, the Beatitudes mean, the Beatitudes are not about what we feel about ourselves, but rather about how God sees us. They are not emotional in nature. Feelings don't enter into this verse anywhere. That's why even though some people like the word happy here to be the first word of the Beatitudes, I can't quite get there because it's an emotion and emotions aren't part of the Beatitudes. Emotions are, are what's inside us. Three or four months ago, a couple of faculty members at Harvard University wrote a book following a long, long study. The book is called The Good Life. Back in 1938, Harvard University began what, began what was called a longi longitudinal study of more than 700 people. That's been going on ever since then, more than 80 years. And every two years, they interview these people and some of their families to see how they're doing in their life. One of the phrases from this book is absolutely spot on. We're always comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And comparing ourselves to others hardly ever makes us feel good or happy or fortunate or blessed. So first, the Beatitudes are not about how we The Beatitudes are how God sees us. It's a little goofy to say this, but it's absolutely true. God loves us, and there's nothing we can do about that. We can do something later with how we behave and react to that, but God loves us. Nothing we can do about that. Number two, second, we live with the assurance that God always has the last word. That is absolutely a thread that runs through our 66 sacred texts, our Old and our New Testament. God always has the, the last word. The reason those who our mourning are blessed is because comfort is available. In the Christian faith, we understand that while we live and love and enjoy and strain and wiggle and wobble through life, there is another stream of events moving silently on. It's another reality. It's called the kingdom of God. And we have dual citizenship with the kingdom of God on the one hand and the kingdom of man and kingdom of humanity on the other hand. Which means that in the end, despite all the chaos, all the stupidity, all the brokenness, all the pain, all of this will not turn out to be one hopelessly tangled mess of meaninglessness. Rather, through all the puzzles of our life, there runs the red thread of God's purpose. He knows what he wants, and he does what he knows. When God blesses us, we are part of the club called disciples, and the Beatitudes are identifiers of discipleship, characteristics of the chosen. That's not so much what we do, it's who we are. 
First we are his, blessings follow. About 20 years ago now, a pastor, scholar, theologian named Eugene Peterson wrote a translation of the New Testament, at least maybe the Old Testament too, I don't remember. He called it the message. It's, it's really a paraphrase rather than a translation because it's kind of breezy. In some passages, his translation is, is, in my opinion, my estimation, a little bit sketchy. But boy, when he comes to the Beatitudes, that's where he shines. When he translates, blessed are the morn, he translates it this way. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. For my money, that translation nails it. Let me close by switching some tags myself this morning. A phrase I've heard and a phrase I've used, and maybe it's a phrase you've heard and a phrase you've used, is the phrase, deal with it. Deal with it. We use it that sometimes when, when somebody shares with us some uncomfortable news, something unfortunate happens to someone, and, and we kind of semi-scold them back into reality. So someone says to you, last year I lost 30% of my investments in the stock market. And, and you reply to them, well, nearly 60% of the American adults today own stock in the stock market they got the same results. They lost the same amount in their investment. And you say, suck it up, power through, get over it, deal with it. What if we switch the tags here? What if we meant that phrase in a good sense? Encouraging somebody else to take a godly kingdom perspective along the lines of, Embrace God's goodness. Make friends with God's love. We might really understand the Beatitudes differently. Blessed are those who mourn. It's going to be comfortable. Deal with it. You are to be envied when you stand at the grave of someone you loved and who loved you. You are envied because you are an Easter person, because at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God switched the tags. That's God's perspective. Embrace that. Make that your own. Don't blow it off. In a good sense, deal with it. You are God-favored when you can watch the evening news, even when you become numb to the accounts of war and destruction and violence and death and tragedy. And still you can mourn for the world because God created everything and it was good and then it wasn't. He cares for this world. He cares for everything. He will reclaim it. Embrace that. Enjoy that. Deal with that. You are the privileged recipient of God's favor when you acknowledge your part in the brokenness of the world and when you acknowledge your part in the brokenness of your world. For just then, God reaches out to you with the grace of forgiveness. Live in that. Embrace that. Wrap yourself in it. 
deal with it. Fortunate are you when you slog through one disappointment after another, feeling very, very alone because you belong to a club, the chosen, the assembly of believers, the church. Appreciate that. Work in that. Deal with that. Congratulations. Because the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in the hope that comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Deal with it. Amen and amen. Thank you, Pastor Schultz. Uh, it's time now for our profession of faith, but.